Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we are here to talk to you about a process that is very close to our hearts and in the front of my mind especially. And that topic is how to sell yourself, not in any kind of seedy or tawdry way, well, maybe a little bit, but in the process of finding employment and uh, dealing with all the different kinds of people you will encounter on that journey. Yeah, so we wanted to talk to you about how to sell your abilities, how to sell yourself, and specifically within the context of interviewing. And it turns out that that process is not just something you can learn kind of one way to do it and you're all set. Um, unfortunately, in the interviewing process, at least in the technical interviewing process that we've both been through, um, there are typically multiple steps involved uh, and multiple different people, different kinds of people within the organization that you're going to talk to. And you really need to figure out a way to adapt your story that you're going to tell, not just to sort of one audience, but to typically at least two, maybe three or four different audiences um, to prove that, you know, you have the skills that you say you do um, and that you're a good culture fit, all of those things. So uh, we wanted to talk to you about kind of a way, a map, a way to navigate through that um, and hopefully get to the end where you've got an offer. That's, of course, the the ultimate goal is to get an offer from a company. Um, so in your career, Brian, uh, we'll talk first about kind of just the importance of selling yourself and your abilities. Have, do you have any kind of examples where maybe that's gone well or maybe that's gone poorly, like in a general sense? Yeah, I have a, a recent example, I guess I'll focus on, that has gone well, and it has uh, turned out to go well in, in every step, and I actually have an offer uh, en route as we record, and probably will have it in hand by the time we go live. Congratulations. Thank you. And that started out uh, long before I realized I was doing it, in fact, with uh, meetup presentations, because I... As a member of the Orlando Developers Community, I like to get up and talk about stuff. And as I always say at the meetup, if you don't meet someone, it's just an up. So I, I try to make a point of getting around and shaking hands and meeting people afterwards, which is much easier if you're the one giving the talk because then there's a, a thing to talk about with people and people initiate that conversation. Yeah, a built-in incentive for them to come talk to you, right? Which, yeah, really makes it easier. That or baking cookies, as our good friend Janelle has uh, described before. If you bring in cookies, then people will want to talk to you as well. But in the absence of baking skill, uh, speak. And I spoke and I met a guy and uh, to be honest, I hadn't thought about it much in the intervening year and he posted a job in the year of Slack and uh, said, DM me if you're interested. So I DM'd him and I, he said, hey, I remember you from giving the talk at Odev's last year. How are you doing? So that was step one was just making a good general impression on somebody uh, without knowing that it was going to lead to employment ever. Yeah, that's that's a great example of how to use kind of your your general community involvement as a way to just lay some groundwork, right? Yeah. For for people to know who you are and what your deal is and and what you're good at. Um, if you give a talk about something, you know, obviously if you give it about something that you know well, it's gonna hopefully present you in a positive light. And uh, you know, I've said this. Um, on this podcast, I tell my students at Lambda School, uh, I say this to people that attend the Orlando iOS meetup, the one that I run, um, that, uh, you know, it's really great to get up here and, and do this uh, these presentations because you just never know what's going to happen. And in this case, you have an example of, um, you know, doing it because you wanted to and because you wanted to contribute to the community. And as a bonus, as a side effect, right, you get this opportunity to potentially, um, you know, uh, get a new job. Um, and that's, that's really cool. And that's, I think, uh, a great example of, of why we push that as a, you know, as a, as a tactic, right. For, for, um, for getting a job. And, and hopefully this will be proof. One, one example of proof that what we're saying is, is useful because we have at least one anecdote here of, of it working successfully. Right. And we never want to give the impression that you're going to get up and give a talk and then be handed a contract as soon as you you close your machine. It's a, a long game, but you're going to be around for a while. So it's worth playing long games. And you just really never know who you're going to encounter for the first time or for the second or third time. I mean, my dad, we've had on the podcast, he's a, a programmer of over 30 years, and he's told me over and over again, 
be very careful about the relationships that you that you make and and specifically about about ending them or or ending them on a bad note you know kind of burning your bridges because you just never know when someone is going to come back around in your professional life and you're going to encounter them again and so making a good impression on them is always key because maybe the next time they'll be your boss or maybe they'll be the hiring manager or maybe they'll be the person that can get you an in at the company or whatever. Um, so having having just generally good impressions of you in, in the community is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's really surprising to me how small in some ways the, the industry turns out to be. Um, because the the second I can illustrate that with a few other things from this interview process, uh, after I had talked to this first guy who I'd met at the meetup, uh, he asked to have me send his resume to him directly so I could kind of sidestep some of the automated stuff through their website or angel.co or wherever it was. You'd have to set up an account and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so the next thing I heard from the company was from one of their developers who was the first stage technical interview. Um, Actually, no, I guess really more of a screening interview. And in his email to me, he said, hey, the other developer uh, contacted me, recommended you. And so we'd like to set up this phone screen. Uh, I see that you had been with the Iron Yard and he would, turned out to be from a city where we used to have a campus. And so he knew people who, uh, who had been affected by that closure and who were involved in the effort and thought well of the organization. And so immediately that gave me a little bit of credibility. Nice. Yeah. And uh, so that, I guess, we can lead into a discussion of the phone screen, which I think went similarly with this guy, even though he was a developer. Often, uh, as you know, it can be someone in a different sort of a role. Right. So oftentimes phone screens are with recruiters. Um, so sometimes companies will have a recruiter on staff actually at within the company. So they're internal to the company and they have, you know, specific goals around hiring for positions that the company has open. You might actually instead work with a recruiter that's external to the company. So they, you know, the company might hire a, a recruiting agency to go out and seek out candidates. And, and sometimes what they'll do is they'll have the recruiter the external one do the initial phone screen just as a way to kind of filter the candidate list down um, so that they can, you know, it's something that's manageable for the company to proceed with. Um, and then sometimes it is like what you experience, right? It's, it's maybe, maybe the company is small or maybe they just in like in your case, you kind of got a side door access, which is always great to, to get, um, to get in, in the door that way through a referral. Um, and so you might have a situation where, the person talking to you is not a recruiter. They're actually maybe a member of the team, a developer or something, and they've been asked to kind of screen you initially. So uh, unfortunately, all of those different scenarios basically require a slightly different approach on how you're going to, you know, how to successfully get through it. Um, so why don't we start with uh, what I would say probably is the maybe the easiest one in a way, which is what you did, right? Talking to a developer on the team, um, because you at least have something there in common with them in that you're being you know, hired for a, a kind of position. They, in theory, work on that team on that kind of technology. So you kind of have that common language there. Um, and I feel like that helps to kind of lower the barrier there and, and lower the anxiety of having to kind of perform because you're like, oh, I can just talk about what I know, right? Which it's that's scary in its own way. But, but in general, I feel like probably a little easier. So um, what would you give as like tips for how to how to navigate that specifically if you're dealing with another person who is maybe a developer? Well, I'd say if you can uh, first establish beforehand what some of the parameters or the goals of the conversation from their point of view is going to be, because that initial call, as I'm sure you've experienced, can go a couple different ways. It can be a technical screen where you get sort of the software development jeopardy of how do you do this and what's this error message and you know the kind of questions that you might run into on like a, a final exam with all the attendant stress that can go along with that or it can be a, a more informal i want to find out if you're a person kind of conversation and the the person on the other end of the call will know that before you ever start talking and it's probably to your uh, in your best interest to find out which of those things it's going to be before you actually start talking. Yeah, and I think I think um, 
expectation setting, right? Where you maybe maybe the person doesn't do that with you. So there's nothing wrong with you initiating that, right? You saying, I, you know, nice to talk to you today. I would like to just um, understand uh, what we're what we're trying to get through here and and what the goals are for this call, so that we can both accomplish that in an efficient time and and manner. Um, I think there's something wrong with asking for expectations if you're not given them. Right. And I would even advise, uh, you'll probably get some kind of appointment, you know, email, go on to Calendly or just communicate through email to set up the time for the call. And while you're going through that, I would say, find out, hey, is this going to be this kind of screen or that kind of screen so that you can have even just an overnight of looking up some stuff in whatever your tech manual of choice is if if it turns out to be that kind of call yeah i think that's something that um that is is not really very clear to most people just in general that the interview process is it is as much something that's under your control as it is under theirs it, it often feels like it's all them it's all the company it's all the recruiter it's all the whoever and it's none of it is none of it can i can control um but there is a lot more control there than you think. And just something as simple as setting up the phone call and adding an additional question in that in, in an exchange where you say, hey, I just wanted to get a quick um, idea of what the expectations are for this call and, and what I should be prepared for so that we can we can do it efficiently. I think that's going to speak a lot to your, you know, your um, attention to detail and and you're being interviewed the entire time. So why not um, utilize the skills that you know you will use in the actual job, right? Thinking analytically, thinking critically, trying to think through the different scenarios, being prepared, all that stuff. Um, why not exhibit those skills in things like this, like asking questions about expectations? I think that goes a long way towards showing that you are serious and um, and committed to to actually doing a good job and you and you want to do a good job so that you know you need to be prepared to be able to do that and and that kind of question speaks to that yeah that's a great point and we hear a lot that one of the things that people need more of in really any kind of job is the ability to communicate well so while you're going through the interview process start communicating well find out what is going to happen it's certainly not in their interest to surprise you with with the nature of the conversation you're going to have, I mean, they they won't want to like give you the technical questions ahead of time, but just to say will there or won't there be technical questions, probably probably something that just doesn't even occur to them to say because they have their process and they might have done it five or, or twenty times, but if you ask. Uh, what am I getting into exactly for this call on Tuesday afternoon? They'll be happy to say, oh, well, yeah, it's this kind of thing and it should take this long. and It'll be this much technical and that much getting to know you and look forward to talking. And if they are unable to because they don't know or they are reluctant to tell you for some other reason, then that itself is a signal to you. Yes. That perhaps this company is not either doesn't have their stuff together and they, they don't know what's going to happen, which is it's which is scary in itself. Or if they're reluctant to tell you, then why? Right. Like you said, this process, the, the meta process should not be a secret. Yes. The technical questions they're going to ask you, they're not going to give you in advance because that would be that would that would defeat the purpose. But giving you a basic overview of the schedule, that is not something that should be a secret. So if, if that's something that they are not willing to tell you, then, you know, you kind of can factor that into your decision-making process about whether you want to work for them or not. Um, so as compared to maybe talking to a technical person, which I feel like uh, in many cases, especially for juniors, that's going to be probably less likely in this first screen. In the first one, I agree. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how this approach might change slightly if you're talking to either an internal or external recruiter. I think they both actually have their own sets of of techniques uh, to to you know to do well in them um, because the goals of those two people are going to be different. Um, they're both generally the same, right? They bo- in both cases they want to fill the position, um, but I feel like external recruiters they just they may not have as much insight into the actual position as an internal one might because they don't work at the company. Um, and then number two, they, they just, I'm going to try and be as nice as I can here because I, I, I have all kinds of opinions about external recruiting companies and whether they are a good service or not, but uh, they tend to just have different incentives and different goals in mind when it comes to filling positions um, compared to somebody who is an employee of a company, right? Um, as an internal recruiter. So, uh, they just there's just a different approach right for each one and, and how to navigate it and, and how to do well at it I agree and it, the 
existence of external recruiters in this day and age frankly mystifies me a little bit. Me it, too. It seems like that the a lot of what software has done to the world is what's called disintermediation, right? Where there used to be a a mediator, a middleman in between generally a consumer, a normal person, and a some kind of business. Right. Uh, travel agent. For travel example, agent is a great is example the, of that. Sure. There used to be people, and my parents, God bless them, will still use the last travel agent, I think, on the Eastern Seaboard to go to and say, we would like to go travel to a place. Could you set up plane flights and hotel reservations and blah, 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 which anyone listening to this podcast will scratch their head in puzzlement and say, but why don't you use Travelocity and Expedia and Kayak.com and do all that over lunch? And and the, before those services existed, you had to go through a person. And likewise, if you want to find work, it seems to me that things like Stack Overflow job boards and different blogs have, have job search engines and stuff like Indeed and those kind of things make all those available never mind just going directly to company websites and seeing you know clicking the careers link uh, and yet somehow these organizations exist whose sole purpose is to as far as i can tell do that and then mail people they find on linkedin and ask uh would you like to have me send you this link <laughs> right right yeah would, well would you like me to send you an email that contains some of the information about right this job but kind of an obfuscated yeah. things like the company name because then you could just go around them and go right to the company and right so they have to they actually have to remove data in order to prevent you from making an end run around them and and making their their purpose you know purposeless so uh we don't that's a whole episode that we could talk about it really could be it seems like something that could be done very well if you know a field pretty well and if you know the people you're trying to serve pretty well on both the company and and prospective employee side to be kind of a matchmaker that i think would be a valuable thing but i had don't have any experience of that actually I, happening yeah i don't think i've ever had that happen to me <laughs> so, <laughs> uh and it's because most of the time recruiters just are not if, if we're talking about and we're talking about technical recruiters for programming jobs right i don't know about how they work in other industries but in the programming world they are almost never programmers themselves they have zero programming experience so they can't speak to the technical aspects of it and then because they're not in the company that you're that you're potentially going to get hired at, they don't know anything about the internal processes of the company itself either. So they are really just kind of a, just a message taker and a message, you know, deliverer. They're just kind of sending messages back and forth. And it's like, why don't you just get out of the way and let us talk directly? Nonetheless, it's something that exists in the industry and you should be aware of it because you may well have to deal with it. And as far as, as dealing with it, if you, if you end up getting a phone screen with an external recruiter, um, oftentimes, the ones that I've had before, they are usually an information delivery session where the recruiter will tell you a little bit more about the job. Um, and then often they will ask you for essentially information that's already on your resume. But but it's important to, to develop a skill where you can kind of quickly summarize um, your resume and your experience to someone that you know is not going not gonna to consume it in a way that uh, where they'll be able to like properly internalize that technical knowledge. They're just going to kind of ingest what you said and say, okay, cool. That's those words sound like words that are, that would be relevant to the job that I'm looking to hire for. Right. So it, it's basically keyword matching and, yes. and, um, uh, and just giving them the impression that you know what you're talking about. You don't need to, necessarily actually prove that because they won't be able to they can't evaluate it, probably they can't evaluate it in most cases right so so really as an approach you just want to try and um figure out a way to to present yourself in a succinct way basically kind of have like an elevator pitch for your own technical abilities that you can just sort of regurgitate to these people um and and maybe practice it a couple of different ways you know you're not always gonna be successful but if you find a way that seems to work Grab onto that and stick with it, and that way, when you come, when you encounter this again, you'll kind of have it at the ready. Um, I've seen uh, there's this like I don't know, it's a, I think it's a pretty famous YouTube interview. We'll we'll throw the link in the in the in the um, show notes, but with Mila Kunis, um, the actress, 
And a guy, I think, who works for the BBC, I want to say, um, who is not an interviewer, but they thought it'd be funny to like put him in the situation. Okay. And so he's totally starstruck and flustered by having Mila Kunis sure. on the side of the 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 table there. Um, and so he doesn't he doesn't ask any typical of the typical questions. She was promoting a movie, um, and it's really entertaining and interesting. And and she just seems genuinely jazzed that like I can finally just have a regular conversation with someone. I don't have to. So at the end, she, they they do kind of prompt him that like okay you need to ask her about the movie because that's what she's here for so she's like here let me do it for you and so she answers like four questions in a row the exact questions that people always ask always. her and she has she has these yeah just down just at the ready right and she just right. she just like it comes just flows out of her mouth in one continuous uh stream um and it's it's amazing uh and you can just you know you can see that she's very practiced at this at that at that speech. skill right yeah. promoting this thing in a succinct way so basically to kind of turn this to bring this back around that's really what i'm advising you all to do is is just have have this nice little packaged elevator pitch up for yourself and your abilities at the ready and that way if you're talking to a third-party recruiter if you're talking to um somebody maybe at a meetup or you know you meet you're at a job fair or like any of those kinds of things where you have to be able to sell yourself really quickly and you don't know what kind of knowledge that person on the other end has i mean maybe they're super technical but maybe they're not so if you if you give them like a a nice keyword filled short answer if they if they key in on some of those things and they then ask follow up questions that you can tell that they're technical you're like okay cool we can i can shift now and if not then at least they have that nice little prepackaged answer that they can then take and maybe just sort of search for keywords and and then decide whether they want to filter you in or filter you out um, based on that. Right. It's kind of if you've already been involved in playing around with software and maybe you go to some kind of family gathering with very non-technical relatives, as probably some of them are, and you want to get across kind of what you do, you really will not help anybody out by getting too technical and jargon filled. So you want to give kind of the overview of, well, I work with the mobile phone and I make an app or I work on a website and I do this part without using any technical terms for that part. But at the same time, you want to like imagine if you were playing software buzzword bingo, you want to make sure that all the things that are relevant to you are part of the conversation and possibly also say, I do this, but I don't do that. I do javascript i don't know anything about java right. i do yes. javascript that's actually a really important uh it's a really great piece of advice right to not only include the things that you are good at and that you know about but also the things that you do not because oftentimes you know the the, the, the boundaries are fuzzy was, right was naming javascript after java i think mostly what i heard is that it's simply because Java was popular and they wanted yep. to sort of keyword spam the world by having them be similarly named, even though they have well, well done there, basically no relationship at all to each other, other than the fact they're both languages that you can program in. Um, so generally in the C family, but who cares? Yes. Right. That distinction is lost on anyone who's everyone. Yeah. So, so you want to make sure that you make that clear. I think that's a, that's a great. Yeah. Point. Yeah. I work on iPhones. I cannot do Android. Right. That's an important. And for someone who doesn't know anything about them, it's not something that they would know about. So make make because otherwise, uh, I think a large part of the reason that external recruiters get a bad reputation is because some of them will just say, oh, you're a developer. I have a job in 35 different technologies that you've never mentioned before. There's no connection between you and these things on the internet or your resume or anything. Also, it's 3,000 miles away from where you live. <laughs> that, that. And it's a six-month contract that probably won't get renewed. Right. But if you would like to go to British Columbia and work on a Canadian visa while learning Fortran and COBOL, have I got the outdated, uh, antiquated opportunity for you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's quickly talk about uh, the difference between that and maybe an internal recruiter, um, and then we can move on to kind of the next step in the interview process. So with an internal recruiter, I think it's a little different because they are going to be, in my experience, they tend to be a lot more focused on culture, like company culture. Um, and and uh, in particular, um, the recruiter that, that we have at Lambda School, she's fantastic, and I've been working with her to do some hiring for my team. Um, and she's very big on making sure that people who phone screen with her have researched the company 
and and they know something about the mission. They know something about the values that we hold dear, um, and and they can express those thoughts during the phone screen, basically as a way to show I'm serious about this, and I and I I generally want to work for you, not just I just want a job in at all, right? I want to work for you specifically because because your values align with my values, um, and I think that's a really great thing to keep in mind um and to to do right to don't just don't necessarily just find any old job and then just be, and then just wait for the phone call to happen and then just see how it turns out right go to their website see what they're about see if they have like an about page or they have a page about their values or whatever um take a look at that and understand what they care about and what they find important um because you'll be able to express that that knowledge that you just learned during the phone screen and that will show things like uh you know that you're serious determination uh that you are interested that you can that you 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 thought ahead right and you and you went and you researched what they what they're all about um so that really speaks a lot to uh you know whether or not you will continue in the process because recruiters and people within the company who value those things and probably most of the internal ones will uh, and they use it as a as a guideline, they're going to use that in part as whether they want to move forward with you or not. So showing that interest, I think, yeah. is useful. I boy, I there are a lot of companies that that do make a big deal out of uh, that kind of culture fit and devotion to values and stuff. And I understand. I've worked at we've both worked at places like that where where culture is really important and where the mission is a specific unusual kind of thing but at the same time i we both can recall having students who were in other lines of work whose mission was to not work outside in august cooking meat in central florida you know if if i get a, do, a job where i'm indoors then you know that's my mission so i feel like to uh, to sort of encumber people with the notion that you need to be aligned with the values I mean, ideally sure but for your first thing and if the first job is going to be you know support for an accounting firm i, I bet there are people whose hearts burn for accounting uh, do we want to make that a requirement for your first thing yeah <laughs> probably not so i guess i should i should caveat my advice with by saying like do the research and yes. see if the company actually holds those values that's a good as, as important right if they do and it's clear that they do then you should probably care about them if they do not right then it's not nearly as important i guess so like it, the, the the issue right is that the company that i work for we're in education we're basically attempting to sort of upend the entire post-secondary education market right by providing more access and and more uh you know carefully aligned skill building with the job that you're going to get so our mission is kind of uh, specific and and we're very passionate about that right and and so i feel like it's easy for us as a company to to um to express those ideals and try to find people who want to also you know help us in that regard but like you said if you're an accounting firm or you or you do something that's a little bit more i just want to i'll just say like every day right then you're probably not going to have um a mission that is quite quite as passionate as that and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and that also means that that the the candidates don't necessarily need to be quite so, uh, you know, gung ho about it. And I think that's that's a really good um, way to temper that advice. Right? Is is basically just see what the company values and then kind of judge how you want to approach it from there. Yeah, I would I would say there are probably even if you're in you're looking for your first job, there there's value in ruling some stuff out, right? There are going to be some companies and organizations that you just find, frankly, distasteful. Right. Yes. <laughs> if if not loathsome, doing stuff that you just think no one should be doing what you're doing. I could not make a living helping you to... I don't want to give examples because then someone will say, that's exactly what I do want to do. But, you know, look at what they do. And if you think, I just, I don't want to be a part of it, then don't be a part of it. But if it's something where you think, well, all right, sounds like they would offer me a paycheck then it i don't think it should have to be more than that if it can be more than that and if it's something that just animates your being to to be part of the company's mission fantastic
Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's great advice, right? Is is just temper your, uh, you know, your interest and your excitement with with what what the company values, and also even more importantly, what you value, right? Like like you said, if there's somewhere that you don't want to work, then don't apply to that place, even if they have openings. Don't don't sell your you know your soul or whatever. Don't don't give up those ideals. Um, just because you need a, a paycheck, and I, and I'm saying that from a position of someone who has a job. So obviously, if you were in a more, you know, not desperate, but but a more uh, strongly incentivized position to to get a job today, clearly you have to be, you know, willing to compromise in in some ways. Um, but there are a lot of jobs out there, and and if you have the skills, you should be able to get one. So so do what you can to try to you know to keep your ideals. Uh, top of mind. I yeah, guess. I think that's fair. There are there are a, a lot of positions out there, and so you shouldn't say, "Well, this one doesn't really sound good, but I'm desperate, so I'm going to jump." You know, keep please please keep looking and and try to find something that you'll be happy with. And maybe if you need to, maybe even apply for that place and get the job, and then and keep then looking keep for looking. a new job. Yeah, right? yeah. Just be, just because you have a job doesn't mean that you can't try and get that's a better true. one. That's true. That's true. Uh, to get back to the difference between external recruiters and internal recruiters, you said that your current organization, that person sounds like, is not technical, but is uh, very culture-oriented. Yes. Have you ever had experience with an internal recruiter who is more of a, a technical, more of a technical mindset? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't. So the majority of my experience at getting a job in my career so far has actually been with external recruiters um, for whatever reason. Uh, and they are almost never technical. Um, uh, in the case of internal ones, I've only maybe, I think maybe only one time is that have I actually dealt with the recruiter first. A lot of times I end up getting something like what you, like what you're doing where you know someone who's already on the team and they pull you in from the inside, right? And because you talk to them in a meetup or whatever. I mean, the job that I had before my current job—that's that's what happened. Um, I had I had a friend at the local meetup, and they were hiring, and so I applied. But then I also talked to him directly and said, "Hey, I applied for this. Could you pull on this for me from the inside and kind of and kind of get maybe get my resume to the top of the list or something, just to kind of get an, an in?" And that's always something you want to do. Don't. Don't think that's just something that only like I can do because I'm a senior. If you know someone, use your use your your network, right? Use your social interaction and your and and as much as you can to get uh get that side door um, so that you can avoid the the cold applying because that just that's that's the least successful way to do it. Um, so most of the time, it's been either an external recruiter who has either reached out to me or maybe I've like applied and it like. You know, I apply and then it takes you it. The application sends you to an external recruiter for whatever reason. Um, or I've I've worked with someone who is already on the team and kind of had them pull uh, pull me in from the inside to get like directly to the technical or whatever. Um, so I, I haven't really dealt with internal recruiters that much, um, but I would imagine that if they're hiring for a recruiter, they're likely going to be more in like the HR kind of industry like in the sense that they're you know it's people operations so they're they're not necessarily going to be like i'm a programmer and now i'm going to be a recruiter i i haven't i'm sure that that does happen but i haven't seen that very much yeah i've i haven't um worked too much with internal recruiters i get i'm sure you do get pinged by them once in a while on linkedin and it's I would suspect that they would know more about the technology that their own company is using, but I don't know even that for sure. Yeah. I mean, so like in our case, right, we're, we're the people that I'm hiring are people that are going to instruct about technical topics. So it's, it's actually kind of two domains. Like, do you know the thing that you're going to teach and do you have any experience at teaching? <laughs> it's kind of, we're actually need both things. So our recruiter is looking for, um, you know, does the resume show that you have a history of, of iOS development um, and where have you worked, what have you worked on? And then also within that, is there any kind of like community involvement or whatever where you might have been in a teaching scenario or literally have you taught? We have people who apply who have literally taught at a community college or they've taught at another boot camp or they've, you know, they actually do have super relevant teaching experience. But at a bare minimum, do you have like, have you given meetup talks? And like, have you have you been in a scenario where you've kind of, mentored slash taught 
in in some capacity. Um, so so that's something that, that that she's looking for and that she knows more about than maybe if we were to hire an external recruiter to do the same thing, they're just not going to be as knowledgeable about what we need because they don't work here. Uh, could we back up for just a second and talk about what? how do you get through that first screen? What kind of questions happen in the recruiter uh, conversation and what would rule you out or in? I think a lot of it's going to be, you know, unfortunately, a regurgitation of things that are on your resume. They want you to talk about yourself, right, and what you've done. Um, and and specifically what they ideally what they want you to do is they want you to frame your experience in a way that is most relevant to the job they're hiring for right so not only can you talk about your yourself and your your abilities but can you do that in a way that showcases that this experience is particularly relevant to the position that they're hiring for um and and that's from from what i found that's mostly what it is right it's it's can you uh, both when I've done it as a candidate and as I've done it as a hiring manager where I'm, where I'm hiring people, um, the notes that I get for phone screens are, are largely, what have you done and where have you done it? And, and, you know, can you give us some examples and then, uh, how can you sort of transform that general information into a, into basically a pitch about why you would be good for this job. So like in my case, we're hiring instructors, right? So like, why does these three jobs doing iOS work? How does that translate to being a good teacher of juniors? And the, the you know, the first image that comes to mind for me, uh, you'll love this is uh, C-3PO trying to get work on Tatooine. <laughs> yes, right. Right, the, the Jawas have this droid that they're trying to unload. And here's this farmer out in the desert and C-3PO is a protocol droid, right? He's used to being used in diplomatic situations, very proud of having, what is it, six million different languages? A lot of languages and knowledge of protocol and diplomatic finery, and the, the guy who's uh, Uncle Owen, who's looking to, to buy something, says, I don't have any use for that at all. I need someone who, I actually just looked it up. What I really need is a droid that understands the binary language of moisture evaporators. And 3PO comes right back. Well, my first job was uh, programming binary load lifters, very similar to your evaporators in most respects. Right. Yeah. So, so it, he, he just pivoted immediately yes. right? And, and showed, yes, yes, I have all the stuff that you don't need. But, but I also have this experience that is particularly relevant to you and your needs. Right, and, and if Uncle Owen had just said, well, have you worked with moisture evaporators? And then C-3PO says, no, then that's the end of the movie, right? <laughs> Nothing right. else. <laughs> they get it loaded. all hinges on whether or not he can talk to a moisture evaporator or not. Yeah, so without the ability to get through the initial kind of screening interview, he gets loaded back on the sand crawler, and then the stormtroopers catch up to him and R2-D2, and that's it. And then the Empire wins. <laughs> right. That's, that's I just, how important the phone screen can be, ladies and gentlemen. I just saw a tweet, in fact, today about how somebody was saying, like, if you go back and look at Star Wars again, you realize, like, how much of the movie is just Darth Vader flying out to random places and yelling at people about construction delays. <laughs> <laughs> also true. Also true. Uh, which I thought was, was genius. Um, but yeah, so exactly, right? You want to adapt your your abilities and your skills to the thing that they're asking for, which is which which kind of calls back to the idea of doing your research, right? And, and researching the company and their needs, what the job actually is, what they want. Um, unfortunately, job descriptions tend to be sort of a, a wish list of if this perfect person existed, we'd be ecstatic. Oh, and can you work for less than we are than you want? Um, <laughs> but that that doesn't often happen. So they have to they have to go with someone who. Um, typically doesn't know all those things because that's impossible. No one does. Um, so it's a wish list, unfortunately. But if you can key in on a few things that you know that you're good at and, and you can adapt the presentation of those skills um, to the recruiter or the you know whoever you're talking to on the phone screen in a way that sells, like 3PO did, right? Uh, yes, I have all kinds of skills, but here are the skills specifically that are going to benefit you right if you were to hire me and i think that's the most important thing that you can do to get through that because the the screen is it is what it's called right it's a it's a filter it's a way to to basically they're trying to filter people out right people who are not relevant to what they need and and they and so they are trying to decide you know yeah we had a thousand people apply 
how many of them actually have the skills that we need for this job? And so that's your that's your job in that first phone screen is 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 making sure that you convey I have the specific skills that you need, so that you'll put me in the yes pile, right? The pile that goes forward in the process compared to the no pile, which is the pile that we, you know, that we say thank you, no thank you, and then and then you got to start over. Yeah, and, and I would add to that, you want to uh, clearly convey that you have the necessary skills or the ability to quickly acquire them, and also that you're generally the kind of person that people want to work with. Yes. So be, you know, be sort of peppy and enthusiastic about things in general, the job kind of in particular, but mainly just be, you know, a, a positive person and be able to form complete sentences and, and make eye contact if you're in any kind of format where you're looking at the other person and just, you know, be kind of a, a pleasant figure to interact with. Right. Being Ferris Bueller's teacher in this phone screen is not a recipe for success. You're... <laughs> not the, I know, if you're very monotone and sing, single word answers... It's not a recipe for Because in particular, you're talking about yourself. So you should be jazzed about your own abilities, right? If, if nothing else, that's that's important. So just make sure that you're, you know, that you're conveying a, an attitude that I think is is uh, positive and magnanimous. And there's there's no harm in sort of practicing that, too. You mentioned uh, Mila Kunis had gotten very good through uh, the, the gauntlet of press at conveying here's exactly what the movie is, when it opens, what it's about, what my character is. And you can do that for yourself in relation to getting a job, you know, just every morning as soon as you get out of the shower. Hi, I'm Brian Gates and I'm a software developer. I've worked with JavaScript, especially React. I have some background in Ruby from several years ago. And I'm more interested now in working in the front end. There you go. Perfect. That's a couple of sentences yeah. in response to tell us a little bit about yourself versus, uh, well, I'm, my name's Brian. See, that wasn't as good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was definitely not as good. I, I would want to hire the first guy, the second guy. I'd be like, eh, no, 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 this is not that great. Yeah. So, and, and it might seem silly to get out of the shower and then talk to yourself in your own mirror, but it's a useful thing to do. And, and it's in particular, um, you just, you don't want to have to think about that. That is, of all the things you have to worry about in this process, the one thing that you shouldn't have to think about is that 30 second, two or three sentence long little pitch about yourself, you should be able to just just crank that out whenever anyone prompts you with no real thought um, involved because you have it at the ready. And so practicing it is the way to, to get there. Um, so let's say that we have gotten through that phone screen and we want to now impress the people we're going to see either. Maybe it's going to still be remote. Maybe it's going to be in person, but it's the technical interview, the, the dreaded technical interview that, that everyone kind of loves to hate. Um, and, and in many ways it's pretty flawed, but, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. We've <laughs> talked about other, that one. Whole other right. episode that we've already talked about. Um, so specifically let's just talk about kind of a way to present yourself, um, within that context. And, and in most cases you're going to be dealing with people who are what they call individual contributors. So people that work on the team, other engineers that are on the team, they will likely be your colleagues if you were to get hired. Um, and that, that format is usually either, uh, kind of a, a scary <laughs> five-on-one scenario where it's like a conference table with three or four people at, on one side and then you on the other side, um, and they're kind of firing questions at you. Or maybe better, maybe worse, I don't know, uh, the the little sort of uh, like FBI interrogation room where it's a small desk and someone walks in with a folder and they sit down and they talk to you and then after 10 minutes they get up and they leave and someone else walks in and they talk to you and usually ask you the same questions. Um, so... That's at least those are the formats that I've been involved in is is kind of that, you know, uh, the the theater style. They're all going to stare at me and I'm going to perform kind of situation or the more one on one, uh, the round robin one on one where it's like it's this it's the same one on one interview over and over again uh, for the most part. Um, so kind of is, does that match your experience and, and and what maybe advice would you give on just how to how to deal with that? <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that that broadly matches. I've been in both of those scenarios and also maybe an intermediary between this and the recruiter conversation was I've had uh, a technical phone screen with just a single person pretty much rattling off, uh, again, the 
the kind of Jeopardy list of let's let's see if you read the documentation for this project recently and then you say yes I have read the documentation for that project recently and you go on from there to the sort of thing that we're talking about now and uh, I think there are a, a couple approaches to keep in mind one for the the FBI room thing where you have people asking you the same question remember that there is no harm in giving the same answer or even better refining the answer you know it, it might not be until you're asked it the the third time that day that you come up with something that you think is really snappy and flows and gets everything across just right and when that happens as soon as it happens make a mental note of it so that when you're asked a fourth and fifth time you can just boom Here's my answer to that one. Because they're not going to let compare transcripts afterwards and find out, oh, well, that's the same thing he told me. We don't want anything to do with he's that He's a flip-flopper. <laughs> right. He's, he's copying from himself. No, that's fine. Reuse your answers if possible. Yeah, I think that's that's good advice, right, is, is that it's not – they're not tr- – they're, they shouldn't be anyway trying to trick you into giving a different answer and then calling you out on it. Like it's just – I found that for the most part, when you have that scenario where they ask you the same questions over and over again, it's because they didn't do a lot of checking beforehand of what they were going to ask. And it's the same, just like Mila Kunis gets asked the same eight questions about every movie she's ever been in. We get asked the same eight questions about our abilities and whatever over and over again all the time in every interview. So it's it's the same. People just are, uh, I'm not going to say lazy because I've been in this scenario where I've been asked to interview people with 10 minutes notice with no notice yeah and it's like i don't have time to prepare a good interview for this because i don't you didn't you you're handing me the resume of the person as i'm walking into the conference room like this is not <laughs> this is not nearly enough time to prep so i don't blame the people that are involved in this process necessarily the individual people involved because the company needs to do a better job of of letting them prepare but um you, you, you know just find something that works and then once you find that like you said keep it in mind and and that way you have you have one more question answer that's at the ready that you can just provide and move on unfortunately this process is it is as much if not the majority of this is just like seeing if you can get through the process it's not even necessarily truly deciding whether you're the best person for the job some companies do that but a lot of companies it's just a gauntlet and like can you get through the gauntlet if you can well we started with 100 and we're down to three and they all made it through, so now we got to pick. You know, we got to consider and and pick. Um, but the majority of the reason why we're choosing from these list of three people is because they made it through the entire process. I just heard this recently. I can't remember on which podcast, but talking about the the big the tech giants, you know, the Amazons and Facebooks of the world that. They are fully aware that their gauntlet style interview process produces a lot of what's called false negatives, meaning people who get sort of washed out of the process who would be entirely capable of doing the job. And they're completely okay with that because they're the big giant companies who hundreds of thousands of people want to work for, and they can afford to have a bunch of false negatives and wash out perfectly qualified engineers because the people who get through it are not going to be false positives. Everyone who gets through it is also a qualified engineer. And so they can just pick from the people who happen to be good at the interview process in addition to being good at the job. And then to the extent that other companies model themselves after that process, that's that's where we have, that's where we have trouble as an industry because then you get perfectly good people washing out of a process that doesn't really need to be in place. Right. Because some small software company in, in some small town somewhere in the United States does not have the, does not, they're not afforded the, yeah, the luxury of having 10,000 people apply for their job. They're going to get, you know, maybe a dozen or two at best. And, and, and some of them are going to be just not qualified or whatever. You know, I I mean, certainly dealing with, with hiring that that I'm doing at, at my company, we get a lot of people who apply and it's like, I look at the resume and I'm like, you have literally no qualifying experience. <laughs> There's, there, I don't see any reason why you would have thought this would have been a good fit for you. I, I'm, you know, or I'm going to pass. Right. Um, because you have like, you've never done any software iOS development at all ever. And it's like, well, that's pretty important to this, to this job. So, but that's the thing is like that, that happens on a very small scale at, at lots of companies and it happens on a gigantic scale at a place like Facebook or, or Netflix or whatever. Um, and like you said, they just have the ability to, yeah, we know we're getting a lot of people. It's leaky, right? We're getting a lot of good people that leak out of the the process. That's okay. Cause we're still going to end up with enough qualified candidates at the end that we can pick from someone from that group and, and find someone good. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's just not a recipe for for success at other companies, unfortunately. Um, as far as dealing with with this, uh, the most important thing is to try to just uh, answer the questions as they come to the best of your ability. Admit when you don't know an answer, right? If you if you do not know, if you're going to try and BS your way through an answer, if it's a technical question, I guarantee you they will tell, they will know, right? They'll know that this is not correct um, and that this is not accurate. And then they'll be mad at you for trying to trick them, right? For tr for trying, I don't want to be lied to, right? Um, and, and be told something that I know is wrong. And, and like, if they, if the candidate is paying attention, they're going to know that I know that they're wrong. Like this is just a bad scenario to be in. So, so don't, and, and you don't want to work with somebody who takes that attitude of, of right. kind of false bravado of yes. make, making up answers while writing the software is not a good thing to do. Yeah, because it's just going to produce a bug-ridden, you know, terrible mess that that I will then have to clean up. So, <laughs> as the senior member of the team, right? So, uh, if we're talking about, you know, particularly for juniors, it is expected that you're not going to know everything. So, so I'm basically expecting that if I'm going to interview a junior and I'm going to ask them 15 questions, they're they shouldn't know the answer to at least a couple of those. Because I'm going to intentionally kind of push a little on on the, you know, let's see how far their knowledge goes. And I'm going to expect that a couple of these are going to be things that are going to be like, I, I don't, I've not covered that. I don't, I don't know anything about that. Um, and that's not only fine, in my opinion, that's expected. I expect you to have a, you have to have a limit somewhere, right, of your, of your knowledge. Um, and, it, and that limit is going to be much lower for a junior than it would be, than I, what I would expect out of a senior. So that's fine. Say that you don't know. I think that's much better than, like you said, like you said, trying to be your way through an answer. And also, I think that the the journey of learning, if I could use a phrase with almost a rhyme there, uh, is not the same kind of linear progression that people are used to going through elementary school where you learn things. You know, Everybody learns how to count before they learn how to add, before they learn how to do other math kind of things. And for software, I think people come at it from a lot of different angles and pick up things in a lot of different orders and have a lot of different gaps in their knowledge. And so it, I think it's important for the interviewer talking to a, a junior in particular to bear in mind that as soon as you hit the first question and they don't know, that doesn't mean that you've reached the limit of their knowledge. You've reached a hole in their knowledge. And likewise, for you as the person on the other side of the table, just because you get asked one thing you don't know, don't fixate on that and think, well, that's that's all I know. I guess I don't know anything from here on. Or that's the clincher. I said I don't know, and now now the interview is over because I I didn't have a, a, a an answer that was anything more than I don't know to any given question. Right. That's a thing that I don't know. Let me go ahead. And that's something I remember in, I think it was the first time I ever interviewed for a software job. This is something that bit me. It was the early days of Ruby on Rails. So not a lot of people were using it. And the place I went to to interview didn't use it. And they asked me a lot of questions about the tech stack that they were using. And I just, I couldn't answer a bunch of stuff. And I didn't really think to, uh, to really try to impress on them. Well, I know this other technology, look what it can do. I just kind of said, no, I don't know that. I don't know this either. I don't, I guess I'm not very good. I'm sorry for wasting your time, which is not a productive attitude for me to have. But if you can say, as things come up that you don't know, say, oh, I don't know that. And maybe ask, uh, how would I find that out? Where is the best source? Could you explain it real quickly so that I learn something while I'm here and then go on to other things? Or like, if it's something that sounds like something that maybe you do know, you say, oh, is that like this? I know about this. Yes. And then you, and you kind of, you kind of ex both express knowledge that you do have, and you also ask for clarification or additional explanation that shows that you are willing to learn new things and that you're, that you're, that you desire to learn new things, right? That you, that only you're willing, but you actually want to know. Um, and that for me as a, as a, if I'm hiring a junior, that's exactly the quality that I want, right? I want someone who doesn't know everything. There's room to grow, right? And they are both willing and excited to do that, to work on that growth. So why don't we move on to that? Th that process is its own animal, and we could we've talked about it in, in general before, and, and we could certainly talk about it again. Um, but let's say that you you manage to get through that, right? You you answer things appropriately, and now you typically move on to um, either like a hiring manager, or maybe they send they send you off to another manager in a different part of the company. Sometimes they'll send you particularly to a different department to interview with someone to do more of like a culture type fit. 
Um, they they want to get an opinion from someone outside the team. So they might, rather than like having you interview with the manager of that team, they might have you interview with the manager of a different team so that they don't have a dog in that fight, right? They're right. just, they're just fresh trying to, perspective. Yeah, yeah, get a fresh perspective. So sometimes it's a hiring manager. Sometimes it's, it's the technical manager of that group. Sometimes it's just someone else. Um, but it's typically someone more in a management type capacity. Um, and they're going to ask you uh, maybe a few questions that they're just trying to get a double check on your technical knowledge. Um, but oftentimes a lot of those questions tend to be more like culture fit type things. Um, so uh, how have, how has that worked for you in the past and, and what, um, what techniques do you think are the, the best way to get through that part of it? Uh, well, I think at that point, really your focus should not be thinking at, in terms of getting through that part of it. It should be just being honest about uh, who you are and what kind of thing you're looking for and sort of trusting everybody involved to uh, to come to the right decision collectively. I, I had, I guess, a, a lot of experience with that process. I, I seem to be kind of the tackling dummy at the Iron Yard uh, interview, <laughs> or I, I, I think I ended up talking to like 10 or 11 different people, including most of the management team and uh, half a dozen people who were, who were teaching. And um, a lot of that was not about classroom experience or, or teaching philosophy or stuff. It was just, well, let me talk to this person, probably get some practice in interviewing. We're probably going to hire this guy. So it's kind of safe. Uh, at least I like to think that's what was going on. Maybe they just, <laughs> I might've just been right on the edge. I mean, the you got the job. So I, think, I, they I got the job. So it all worked out. Um, uh, but once you get past the technical, uh, questions and again, it, it's probably worth establishing this at the outset of the call or even bef before the call, uh, what is the point from your perspective, from the organization's perspective of this interview? Uh, and probably like Ben said, it's going to be culture fit. Uh, so that means talking about you and what you're interested in and hearing about what the company does and just deciding whether it's a good match and is this how you want to spend the bulk of your time for the next many months and i think another thing that's really important to remember is that you probably aren't going to have necessarily a ton of time to get your questions answered in the previous steps oftentimes the process just doesn't really allow for that I, I would argue that it should, but but um, we're living in the world we live in, not the one we yes, want to live in. So right. there's not going to be probably a ton of time for asking your own questions in the previous steps. So this this part of the interview tends to be a little bit more loosey-goosey and a little bit more open-ended. Um, so take the opportunity to ask questions. Like if you've kind of accrued questions that you want to ask throughout the previous steps, keep write them down or keep them in your head or something. And then take the opportunity when there's a lull in the conversation to ask those questions, that's what it's for, right? It's like you said, it's trying to find whether or not I'm a good fit for the company, whether the company's a good fit for me. Um, and, and that second part of it, right? Part of that is asking those questions and saying like, what is your company's deal? And, and what do you, what do you value? If the company doesn't have strong value judgments, you know, value um, mission and stuff like that on the website, maybe you can ask for those kinds of things in this part of the interview. Do you have, what is your mission? What is your, what do you find important? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, if it's a startup, right? How much money do you have and how long do you expect to be able to be remain in business before you need more investment? And yeah, you know, there's all kinds of other things you could be asking. That's as valid a question as them asking you how much you would like to be paid. Right. I right. Mean, money is important on both sides of this equation. Yeah. So if it, so if it's a, a smaller company that you're worried about, you know, their longevity, ask those kinds of questions right now in the interview. Don't wait to get hired. And then they find out, oh, well, we're going to be shut down in a month if we don't. If we don't find new funding or whatever, right? Take the opportunity now to do that before you get locked in. I mean, oftentimes employment is still, you can still just leave, right? But it's a lot of effort to go through. It um, is. And so you want to try and get these questions answered before you decide to to jump um, and be part of the of the um, organization. So, so take the opportunity to ask these kinds of questions because, like I said, typically this part of it is a little bit less organized and a little bit less formal. Um, and so there's more of a chance for you to be able to, to throw those questions in. In the previous steps, oftentimes they're kind of working off of like a script more or less of, I'm gonna, we're going to ask these 10 questions and, and we've allotted this many minutes for each one. And, and then when it's over, there's no time left. Like you're moving on to the next step. So uh, there's often just not a lot of room for, for that more open-ended Q&A. Um, so, so do that here, um, if nowhere else, because typically this is kind of more open-ended. 
all right, so let's say that you get through that. This is the, the last step's kind of a little bit optional. We're going to kind of just cover it quickly, but um, this doesn't always happen. Sometimes you'll end up talking to maybe in the previous step or maybe even as this, this other separate step, you'll actually talk to an executive like a VP or the CEO, or sometimes depending on the size of the company, they actually involve those very senior level people um, in the decision and you actually speak to them. Maybe that is the thing that we just talked about, or maybe it is a separate step. I've, I've had both scenarios where I've talked to like, uh, you know, somebody else, another manager in the company. And then the last step was I talked to the CEO. And then sometimes I've had where that senior person just is the culture fit interview all on its own. Um, so with this, I found like my, my best tips here are just sort of try and do like a, like, this is like the summary paragraph at the end of your essay, right? Like just try and rehit like the, the, the hot, uh, points about, uh, why you're a good fit. Make sure that you get those in if you can. Um, you're going to probably need that that little elevator pitch because they probably won't have talked to the people beforehand. So if you can just re-pitch yourself, that's great. And make sure you kind of hit the the important points about why I'm specifically a good fit for you and your company. Um, and then uh, I would also probably have a question or two ready to ask them. If this is a, if this is a whole separate step where you're talking to the VP or the CEO at the very end, um, it's, I always find it's good if you ask, if you have a couple questions you can ask, even if they're small, again, you're showing interest and, and, um, and involvement, you know, you want to be involved and you want to get these answers and you want to be well-informed. So that is just, you know, because they're, they're really kind of just getting an impression of you, right? It's, it's usually pretty quick. They're not going to probably dive deep on technical questions because they're like, we've already done all that, right? Our, my team's already done all that work. So I'm just trying to get like a quick, I don't know, just a, a quick snapshot of who you are as an, just as an impression. And so the problem is it's very subjective. <laughs> it's, you know, you're just kind of going to go in and do your thing and, and either you impress them or you don't. But um, if you can, if you can have that quick, like elevator pitch, and then maybe a couple questions that you can ask, you're, you're more than likely going to end up, um, you know, giving a, at least the best impression you can make, right? Whether or not that's good enough is another question, but. And I think it's valuable here, again, to think of playing the long game because this is not going to be something that is probably going to rule you in or out. If you've impressed everybody else, this person is going to be fine. This person just wants to be able to say that they've met everybody who gets hired onto the team. Um, but there is still room to, uh, to make a, a very good impression. Think about what could I do to stand out in a positive way? And I think that is as simple as taking an interest in that person's role and asking some more big picture kind of things because they're big picture kind of people. And some, some uh, things that I've asked before are things like, uh, where do you see the company going in the next three years? What worries you most about uh, the company's trajectory? What thing do you want to change about the team right now? Uh, how are you anticipating growth in this department or do you think it's pretty stable uh, once this last position gets filled? You know, stuff like that that is not at all technical nitty gritty and is not sort of uh, what's in it for me, you know, the how many days vacation am I going to get, that kind of stuff. Uh, but empathizing with the person you're talking to is pretty much a, a good piece of advice no matter what conversation you have in any um, any context and find out if I come to this job, what could I do to help this person who's not my, who's not my immediate boss and is not like reviewing line by line of my PR, but is sort of responsible for the overall health of the organization. What can I do to contribute to that? What are the, the things they're most concerned about? Yeah, I think that would really, that would, that would definitely leave them with a great impression of you if you could accomplish those things in that, in that short period. Um, and it's, you know, like you said, not probably going to be a deal breaker or a deal maker, but it, it just maybe gives you a little extra boost, right? Um, where they come back at the end and they all kind of compare notes and the, the, that person says, hey, I really like, you know, I really like this person. They ask really insightful questions. And that just gives you a little bit of extra, uh, an extra boost to, to get hired. And again, long game kind of thing. It doesn't mean that the, that person is going to go into the final hiring meeting and say, you know, we should make this person CTO. That's right. No, that's not what you're trying to do. But you are trying to convey to this person that you are exceptionally good in this role. You're going to be exceptionally good so that 
three months, six months, whatever the review period is, the next time that person is thinking about the individual developers for whatever important role is coming up, they say, oh, you know, I remember talking to Ben recently. Ben seemed like a, a real sharp kind of cookie. Maybe I should tap Ben for this new thing. And at that point, I think we've gone through the whole gauntlet of the interviewing process and everyone you might encounter. Congrats, you're hired. Yes, well done. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this was useful. And if you are about to engage in the interview process or maybe you're in the middle of it, hopefully some of this advice is useful to you um, and will kind of help you get the extra tips you need to, to uh, clinch that job. And if you have any other kind of experiences, any other sorts of persons you've talked to in this process, we'd love to hear about them. And so we've provided ways that you can send feedback. And if you'd like to talk to us or learn more about the show, Ben, why don't you tell people where they can go and what they can do? So everything you need to know about the show is at mbc.fm. That's our website where we host the show and all of the episodes, including this one. You can listen live right on the page or learn how to subscribe. We're basically available everywhere. Find podcasts are sold. Just search for Model View Conversation in your favorite podcatcher. Um, we also are on iTunes. So if you do use iTunes for your podcast needs, uh, if you could leave us a review and rating, that would be wonderful. That helps us out. And lastly, if you would like to send us feedback, we're on Twitter at MBC Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.